Good evening, Grace Life, and all of those watching. It is good to be here on a Friday evening. I greet you in the name of Jesus. What a good time we've had worshiping together. Uh, I want to thank uh, Pastors Jamie and Lisa for having us in this year and uh, inviting us to come and share good news. Natasha and I, uh, this is Natasha, if you don't know my wife, uh, she is with me again this year. Uh, and uh, we are so happy to come back to West Virginia from North Georgia, about an eight-hour drive today. Um, we had good weather, now you don't, and so <laughs> we, we took all of it, I guess. Uh, bunch has happened in the last time since we have saw each other, I'm sure, and I'll, I'll probably try to give a little more of my bio on Sunday when the, the family's here, the church, all the church family, um, but uh, we graduated two kids this year. We graduated our son out of college and graduated our daughter out of high school. And so it's been a busy summer. It's an exciting time of transition and a season of change. But uh, um, let, let, let's get busy tonight. I, I love I love the word and I love the chance to talk about Jesus. And I know that's what you come for. And and so I just want to I want to don't want to waste your time. It's Friday evening. You could be elsewhere, and yet you're here. I honor that. I thank God for it. Uh, I am in a season. I'm going to meet you in John three. Uh, or you can meet me there. I'm going to John 3, whether you go or not, but uh, that's where we'll be at the tail end of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. In just a moment, we'll get started in that. As we do, I just, uh, just to express what I want to do this weekend and, and why I'm doing it, um, I really feel like I'm in a season of, I was talking to the pastor about this before the service, really in a season of uh, trying to reignite Christians in their passion for Christ. Um, I, I can't stick a fire under people and do it. I don't believe in playing with your emotions to do it, um, trying to reach back into like maybe your, uh, your old-time heritage or the way you were raised or how you saw it done. I've done those tricks. I've been a part of those kinds of ministries. I don't have a heart for that. Um, but I'm passionate about Jesus. I know that you are as well. It's why you're a believer, because you believe in Jesus and that he resurrected and that he's alive. What I'm doing is going into places and trying to shine that spotlight on Christ in a way that causes us to leave, not with more information, though we're going to give you a lot of information, but leave with a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. And for that, we need ears to hear, and we need hearts to apply, and we need God to do his work. Okay, so we listen and we open our heart and then we lay it at the feet of the, of the Father to do the work. And so we lay it at his feet tonight to do the work. So what I've been doing with my kids is saying, God, I got a 22-year-old and a 17-year-old. And I'm saying, God, I don't, I don't have enough, I don't know the words to intellectually stimulate their growth in Christ. All right, I don't know what I need to say. I don't know all the answers to all the questions. I don't have all the apologetics down. Even if I did, it doesn't cause people to transform because they get a head full of knowledge. And so I've been praying, don't, I, don't give me another answer. I'm not going to ask you for what do I say to my son, what do I say to my daughter. And they're believers, and they live for the Lord. And, but I want, I'm, like, I'm like you with your family and you with your friends and you with your church. You want to see people in love with Jesus and that brimming out of their lives. And, and so I've just gotten to where I pray, Father, I don't, I'm not asking you what to say to them. I'm asking you to reveal yourself to them. If I can be a part of that, then help me to be a part of that. So I just want to see him revealed to you tonight. If I can be a part of that, I want to be a part of that. I want to take you to a conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus 
He has this probably one of the most famous encounters in the ministry of Jesus with a leader in the temple and by night, and I'll not go into the thousands of reasons why maybe Nicodemus met with Jesus by night. What we do know is what transpired between Nicodemus and Jesus, and in all of Christ's teachings in the four Gospels, there's probably more theology packed into the third chapter of John than maybe any other single passage from a ministry of Jesus, maybe the Sermon on the Mount notwithstanding. But this conversation that Jesus has with, with Nicodemus will actually lead us down several different roads. I have to be selective tonight. The most famous encounter is, of course, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We all know that text because it's a great truth and we've applied it to our lives and we've hold, held on to it. But that's not where we'll be tonight. Rather, I want to talk to you a little bit this evening about truth. And we live in an, in a, in an environment, in a, in, and I'm talking about the church. I don't even want to deal with the world yet. Um, we'll throw them in in a second, but let's start with the church because we talk about knowing the truth in the church. And people say, you shall know the truth and the truth shall... All right, see, everybody knows it, but then when we try to define what truth is, what we've done is we've, dis, we've, we've usually relegated it to a doctrine or a theology or a set of scriptures. And that's why we have this church that believes this way and then this church that believes this way and, this, and every one of them will tell you we are presenting the truth. We are presenting the truth. And what they mean by that is on the outside, what we mean is we're presenting Jesus. But then when it gets down to the fine details, it's this about baptism or this about speaking in tongues or this about the rapture or this about the Bible translation. or th And you can just keep going with the this and the this and the this and the this that constitutes this big block of doctrine that we call truth. Okay, now in grace, in the grace wave that has swept the church... We transferred that, rightfully so, I believe, and said, okay, it's not truth as in a doctrine or a text, it's truth as in a person, Jesus Christ. We'd say, Jesus Christ is the way, there it is, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father by me. And so we know Jesus proclaims himself to be the truth, the law was given by Moses, grace and truth came by Jesus, and so we have Jesus is truth, he knows truth, he is truth, and then we go, okay, so when you know the truth, and that means when you know Jesus, then Jesus will set you free, and then we sort of just land right there on what that truth is, and then what happens is we then have to segment off what kind of Jesus we're preaching, and so the Jesus preached in that building is that version of truth, and then the Jesus preached in that building is that version of truth. I'm here to tell you tonight, I don't think it was supposed to be this hard. I don't think it was supposed to be figuring out the proper doctrine with all of the codicils to the doctrine, and then that one's truth. And I don't think it was supposed to be we identify Jesus, but we've got to figure out which Jesus is the real Jesus and which Jesus is not the real Jesus. I, I, I think maybe if we just started over, we could come up with something better. So if you'll go on a little adventure with me tonight, that's what I want to try to do. I'm not throwing out those others. I'm not throwing out doctrine. I'm not throwing out scriptures. I'm not throwing out Christ the man as truth. You know, you know more than one thing can be true at the same time. That's a reality in life, by the way. That's not just in Scripture, but that's a reality in life. Is that more than one thing can be true at the same time? So let's find this truth as Jesus proclaims it. Look at John chapter 3, 
verse 20, and I want to show you a little bit of an issue. It doesn't appear to be an issue at first, but I think there's an issue happening in these two verses that often gets overlooked. John 3.20, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. That seems pretty straightforward, right? Everyone who's practicing evil, and you can run through a list right now in your head of all the evil practices, and you, you could spend all night long jotting down all of the things that you think are evil, and then put them right here in this verse. Everyone that practices these, by default, they hate light, they won't come to the light, and the reason they won't come to the light is why? Based upon this verse, why won't they come to the light? Because they don't want all the evil they've been doing to be shown up in the light. All right, pretty straightforward text. Then verse 21, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in Christ. And I present to you that this one is slightly less straightforward. He who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they've been done in God. He who does what? The truth. Can we go back to verse 20 real quick? I just want to make sure that we get the comparison properly. Verse 20. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. 21. But he who does the truth comes to the light. Whenever you're setting something up and then giving the opposite of it, it helps if you give the actual opposite of it, right? What's the opposite of turning left? It would be to turn right. It's not backwards. If I say to you, give me the opposite of turning left, you don't go backwards. That's not your first thought. Now, it is actually not turning left. But it's not what you think. It should be go right. I mean, we don't have to make this hard. It's as simple as it sounds. No, don't go left, go right. Why does Jesus not say, everyone practicing evil hates the light? That's 20. Why does he then not say, but he who practices the good comes to the light? Why does he switch it between verse 20 and verse 21? And why is 21 not straightforward? Because it would be straightforward if he said, he who does the good comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they've been done in God. But because he's ambiguous about truth in this passage, because he doesn't really land on what truth is, and we wish that he just said, do the good, because that would make sense based upon the previous verse, which was do the evil. If you do evil, you live in darkness. You don't want to come to the light because you don't want people to see your evil. But if you do the truth, then you come to the light, and here's where it gets real funky. You do the truth, you come to the light so that what you're doing may be clearly seen that what you're doing has been done in God. What are you doing in verse 21? This is not a trick question. I'm just asking you to look at the text. What is it that you're doing in verse 21? The truth. That your deeds may be clearly seen that they've been done in God. What deeds? Good deeds? If you threw in good deeds, you threw it in. And you threw it in because... If you don't turn left, you should turn. So what you heard in verse 20 was, if a man does evil, he hates the light. 
Then you get to 21, Jesus doesn't say anything about good. Instead, he talks about truth. And he says, the truth is the man who brings what he does into the light so that it may be seen that what he does, he does in God. I want to make a proposition to you that I am not yet ready to qualify to you. We're going to work on it. All right? I love that. Put it out there. That way, if you hate it, you can stop watching the sermon now. If you're intrigued, you keep going, you get to the end, you go, okay, I see what he did there. My proposition to you is, pos- is this. What about the possibility that Jesus says everyone practicing evil hates the light? He doesn't want to come to the light because he knows his deeds were evil. But the same guy with those same evil deeds could do the truth and bring those deeds. What deeds? Those evil deeds. And walk those evil deeds into the light. And then he could see that those evil deeds are in God. And if that proposition holds water, and we're going to try to see if it does, then the truth isn't a doctrine merely. The truth isn't a person merely. The truth is opposite of what you think it is. Don't turn left, turn. Don't. If you don't tell the truth, then you told a, now you landed there easily, right? You didn't even need prodded. It just slipped right out because what's the opposite of truth? The lie. So when Jesus says, do the truth in John 3, 21, what's the guy been doing? His evil deeds, but they've been a, lie to somebody it's time he starts to do the truth and by doing the truth did his deeds change he still did the deeds of verse 20 he just stopped doing them in the dark and he walked who he really is to the front of the verse so that he could see what God sees that everything he does he does in the light of God already and if that's the case then truth takes on a brand new and powerful meaning tonight will you take the journey with me all right you've accepted my thesis my proposal tonight that so you keep in mind the opposite of truth is the lie all right however in the text it feels like the opposite of doing evil should be doing good but Jesus has the opposite of the evil appearing to be the truth, and that tells me that what's going on in the evil man must be opposite of the truth. And what's opposite of true? A lie. So what's going on in the evil man in some way or the other is the lie. All right, so let's go to work on the lie because sometimes if you want to know the truth, go to work on the lie. And then you can establish truth and run in truth, and then all the lies will bounce off of that. So what is the context of this text? Because it's important if you're going to bring this kind of thing to bear. Because what we did is we took the last two sentences, basically, of an extended conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, and we highlighted the last two sentences. That's categorically unfair. You don't do that to a conversation. You're on the tail end of the conversation. It's not fair to jump in at the very end, hear the last two sentences, and go, hey, I got a new idea. You should probably watch the whole speech. 
You know, you should probably check out the whole movie. It would help to really lay the context. Now, part of the context you already know. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a, is a high-ranking official in the temple, but he comes to Jesus by night to have a conversation. The, in, the very famous moment of, unless a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom or enter the kingdom. And this great conversation ensues between Jesus and Nicodemus. It involves all kinds of amazing imagery. Jesus reaches back into the Moses story and says, as Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up in the wilderness. And Jesus is already sort of being prescient about the cross. I'm going to be lifted up, and, and that's going to be the solution, and that's going to be the answer. And then the very famous John three sixteen: God loved the world, gave his only Son. Whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And then the far less famous, but I think should be just as famous, 17th verse. Go there. John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I want to start here because I think this verse is less famous than its predecessor, but should be just as famous or more famous, and here's why. Because this tells you, in a nutshell, what Jesus came to do and what Jesus did not come to do, and he gets accused of what he says he didn't come to do, and he gets accused of it all the time, and he gets accused of it in church. Because we have Jesus judging the world, and Jesus says, God did not send me into the world to condemn or to judge the world, but rather, let me tell you what God did send me into the world to do, but so that the world through Christ might be saved. Christ becomes the conduit for the salvation of all evil men. All of us in darkness, all of us in wickedness, the conduit for our salvation becomes Christ. But you cannot land on Christ as a conduit for your salvation if you refuse to accept what Jesus said he did not come to do. I did not come to judge. I did not come to condemn the world. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, let us assume that the Jesus of yesterday who did not come to condemn the world does not change his mind and decide someday that's not going to work. We're going to go ahead and judge them anyway. And a lot of us are treating Jesus as if he's trying the cross with his fingers crossed. The gospel is God trying to change the world through salvation by the cross and the resurrection. But at the end, God gives up and goes the way of Cain. What's the way of Cain? If it ain't working out, Kill somebody. So we kind of got God trying, 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 trying. At the end, he goes, forget it. That didn't work. Let's just wipe people out. And I'm here to show you, I think through the scriptures, you can show it fairly solid, even without leaving John. And if we wanted to run all over the Bible, you could lay a case. But even if you just stayed here, that Jesus does not consider himself the one called to do the judging in the world. Look at John 5. John 5, 22 Jesus says this, The Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Based upon John 5, 22, how many people is the Father going to judge? None. Who did he commit all the judgment to? The Son. Can you tell we've got a problem? The problem is, is that in John three seventeen, Jesus said, I didn't come to judge people. In John 5, 22, Jesus goes, the Father's not judging anyone. He told me I'm the one who's supposed to do it. Hint, hint, two chapters ago, I told a dude named Nicodemus, I'm not here to do that. 
we got ourselves a straight-up conundrum. This just doesn't get talked about enough to me in the church. This doesn't get preached enough or discussed enough as to how Jesus can declare that he doesn't come to judge the world. And then in the fifth chapter says the Father's not going to do it. He told me I'm the one that's supposed to do it. And then go to John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, Jesus says this in verse 46. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my word and does not believe, I don't judge him. For I didn't come to judge the world but to save the world. Time out. We've got more problems. John 3, 17, the Son of Man didn't come into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John 5, 22, the Father's not going to judge anyone. He told the Son he's supposed to do it. John 12, 47, Jesus goes, 46, I came as a light that whoever believes in me shouldn't abide in darkness. 47, and if you hear my words and you don't believe, I'm not the one that's going to judge you. And I'm, why am I not going to judge you? Because that's not why I'm here. I didn't come to judge the world, I come to save the world. 48, he who rejects me and doesn't receive my words has that which judges him. And what we think Jesus should say right here is, he has that which judges him, which is all of his evil deeds. Because isn't that why people are going to be judged? Let's just take a little slowdown right here for a second. Isn't the reason the world is going to be judged is because they're doing things wrong? I mean, that's what we watch the news for. To figure out who's under the wrath of God. Who's in trouble. Who's about to be in trouble. Who's in trouble and they don't even know they're in trouble. Those deceived fools. God's got it out for them because of the way that they're acting. And then every time we see something bad going on, all we got to do is just reverse engineer that baby. Take it back from the problem and then run it all the way back through the sin. We get really good at that. Because how I many of you know, if you just look hard enough, you're going to find something going wrong everywhere. Somebody's doing something wrong everywhere. So every natural disaster, every problem, every fault, every issue, everything, every time someone dies, every time some, there's a war, every time there's a poverty, every time the stock market crashes, all you got to do is reverse engineer that through a couple of newscasts and a couple of podcasts and a couple of YouTube videos. And what you'll do is you'll end up with the reason, the sin that started the whole ball of wax that caused the snowball to roll down the hill. I'm here to tell you, don't reverse engineer what's going wrong and think you're going to end up with people's sin. Because according to Jesus, the man that rejects me but doesn't receive my words has that which judges him. I told you what we thought it said. Let me tell you what it actually says. What judges him? The word that I've spoken him over him, to him. The word that I have spoken is the word that's going to judge him in the last day. In other words, Jesus' words become our judgment. Jesus doesn't judge us. The Father doesn't judge us because a judgment happens in Jesus and to Jesus. John chapter 9, verse 39, Jesus says this. John chapter 9, verse 39, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. The Greek word for is the, the, the word for for is the Greek word eis, E-I-S. It's a preposition. It can mean all kinds of prepositions. What happened is our translators landed on for. 
But did you know that in the Greek, they could have just as easily landed on the word into, and they would have had the exact same word. Into judgment, I came into this world. Not to bring judgment, I came into a judgment so that those who don't see may be blind and those who... So that those who see will be made blind and those who can't see will see. Listen, John 12, 31. So we're, John, we're just staying in John. You can go crazy with, books, with all kinds of stuff outside of John. But if you just stayed in John, look at this one. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Italicized word peoples, of course, you know means that word peoples wasn't in the Greek. So Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Let me ask you, just based on what Jesus said, when was the judgment of this world? It was in his now, 2,000 years ago, right? Now, he said, is the world about to be judged. Also, by the way, so is the ruler of this world about to be judged. That's not out in the future. Jesus goes, that's about to happen right now. And if I'm lifted up, he said, I'm going to draw all of it into myself. So Jesus says, the Son of Man didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. How's the world going to get saved? i got to be lifted up like a snake on a pole. you got to lift me up, and when I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw all of it like a lightning rod into myself so that you can see what's wrong with you judged in Christ. And I don't mean God was on the war path against Jesus. I mean that God judged sin and wickedness and evil at Calvary. If that's the case, go back to John 3. Let's get back into our Nicodemus conversation. In John chapter 3, verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 18. He who believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. He's not judged. But he who does not believe is condemned or judged already. Look at that. Where's that guy's judgment? It's not out in his future. It's an already judgment. See that? I'm not adding words. It's right there. He that doesn't believe is already judged. It's not he's going to be someday. No, he's already judged. Get this. I believe on Jesus. Where's my judgment? In Jesus. In my past. What if I don't believe in Jesus? Where's my judgment? In Jesus. Where? In my path. Believe him or don't believe him, where's your judgment? In, in Jesus. In the where? Where in the past? At Calvary, John 12, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world cast out. If I'm lifted up, that's the cross. If I'm lifted up, I'll draw all of it to me. Every bit of it gets to go to Jesus. All of it for me, for Paul White, the wicked Paul, and Paul White, the good Paul. Because Paul White, wicked Paul, and Paul White, good Paul, live in the same house. Because sometimes Paul White, good Paul, makes some stupid decisions and says some dumb stuff and acts a fool, and wicked Paul looks like he runs a show. And wicked Paul is judged in Christ. And good Paul, in all of his supposed goodness, is also judged in Christ. Everything I need, where is it? In Christ. So he who believes in him is not condemned. Why am I not judged now? Because my judgment goes into Jesus. He who does not believe, well, he's already judged too, because he doesn't believe in 
the only begotten Son of God. He doesn't believe in the landing spot for his own judgment. And therefore, 19, this is that condemnation. That light come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now, it looks to us like, most of the time, that people reject Jesus because they like to sin. But according to John 3, 19, that's not what condemnation is, is that we like our evil deeds. The condemnation is that the light, Jesus, has come into our world. And we prefer our darkness to our light. We don't prefer our darkness to our light because we like to sin. That's not what the text says. We don't prefer darkness to light because we are having so much fun. That's how we've preached this. He said, oh, yeah, someday you're going to stop having fun in your sin. And you knew that was a lie. I mean, if people ever stopped having fun in their sin, nobody would sin. And you sinned after you got saved. So what's your excuse? So the reality is that have nothing to do with fun and enjoyment and ease. Because if you want to bring hell on yourself, go ahead and sin, even after you've given your heart to Christ. I mean, you want to walk into a, just a, yes, I mean a literal. You want to walk into a literal hell, go ahead and live in sin after you've met Jesus. And there's a reason for that, which we're going to get to in a moment, why, why that literal hell takes off in our life. So the condemnation is lights come into the world, but men love their, they love their darkness rather than the light. Why do they love the darkness? Because their deeds are evil. Now, why would you love darkness if your deeds are evil? It's so that whatever your evil deeds are, are not exposed to the light, right? So it's not that we reject Jesus because we like to sin. It's because, pause, what's the opposite of truth? It's because we prefer the lie that we tell ourselves about ourselves, you see, I think all rejection of Christ and all rejection of his favor and his love and who he is is because we cling to a lie about ourselves that we keep telling ourselves. And that lie has a lot of different iterations. Not worth it. I'm not worthy. I'm not able. I'm not forgiven. I'm not loved. I've done too much. Those lies are also, I'm doing the best I can. God knows I'm trying. I'm a lot farther down the road than I used to be. Not as bad as that guy. Not as bad as I was yesterday. These are cleaned up lies. These are the, what, sort of the saccharine lies. They're the good side lies. They're not as bad. They don't look as bad, but they're still lies because none of them involve the judgment that Christ paid for on the cross. They all, in, they all involve us and who we are and what we do. You see, we live in the darkness of our own lie. Whatever lie we project is the darkness that we dwell in because we cannot be honest about who we really are if we want to keep projecting the lie. And you create a world of your own darkness every time you propagate the lie about yourself that says something about you that isn't true. Now, if I wanted to hyper-spiritualize it and, and to do it in a positive way, I would say every time you say that you're down, God sees that you are something else, then stop lying about yourself. You say that you're lost, God sees that you're saved. You say that you're not a son, God sees that you're a son. And all those things would be right. But I think we've got that pretty good. I think what we don't have is all of the masks that we put on in front of people that say, I'm good, I'm healthy, I'm fine, I'm happy, I'm blessed, I'm favored. But behind it, 
we're screaming and we're crying and we're wounded and we're depressed and we're molested and we're hurt and we're downtrodden and we're beat up and we're tired and we're angry, but we keep lying about all of those things because we don't want to hurt people's feelings and we don't want the light to be turned on to us. And it's much easier to just set into the darkness of whatever it is we're lying about rather than walk into the truth. And that's happening to a lot of us, all of us, even though we're believers in Jesus. Because we're refusing to walk out of the dark area into the light of his love and his forgiveness and his grace. And let him have whatever it is that we have held on to in the dark, that we have grabbed and slid back into the dark cave of our soul or our memory, and we've left it there. And we've expected that if God wants rid of it, God will get rid of it. But that's not the way that this works. You see, I asked you at the top tonight, what does it mean to know the truth? And I said, some of us think that's doctrine. But some of us think that that's Jesus, so knowing the truth is Jesus. But this text says, for he that does the truth. So what's that mean? How do you do a doctrine? How do you do who Jesus is? There's a doing of the truth that is your responsibility if you're going to walk in the light of who he is. And the doing of that truth is stop doing the opposite of the truth. And what's the opposite of truth? The lie. Not committing sins, but lying. And we're all doing it often because we're not bringing what we really are out into the light of his love. We're bringing what we wish we were into the light of his love because we're copying the motives and the operations of the world that say go act like what you want to be rather than being honest about what we are and bringing what we are before him. You want to know why confession is still needed in the Grace Church? Confession of my sins. Not because if I don't confess, he doesn't forgive me. Get over yourself. You're forgiven whether you like it or not. Forgiveness is in Christ, not you. All right? So why do I need to confess? I need to confess because not to be forgiven, but to step into the light to see that I already am. Because when I confess what I am, I let go of what I am. When I lie about what I am, I keep pushing into the darkness the things about me I don't want to deal with and I don't want to be seen and I don't want you to know. And therefore, we have sort of wrapped ourselves in a warm blanket in the Grace Church around don't confess your sins because they're not real. Jesus has forgiven you. You don't need to. And what has happened is a lot of us have stepped into the darkness of what our problems are, receiving his forgiveness in our spirit man, but not receiving the effects of his forgiveness in our natural man because we're not walking out of the darkness and into his light and going, I got to let go of this stuff. Here's what's going on in my life. I got to let go of it. I can't live in this darkness anymore. Living in the darkness isn't letting me be the real me. It's kind of a course correction kind of idea for some, some, a little bit of how we've treated truth and a little bit of how we've treated grace. It's not just landing on the right doctrine. It's stop the lie. If you know the truth, that makes you free. What do you got to stop doing to know the truth? No, don't say you got to stop sinning. You got to stop the lie. The lie about what you are or who you are and not understanding what he says about you. We live in the darkness of our own lie and we try to present something. We try to project something. 
We try to be something. Look at 21 again. He who does the truth. This is why I've titled this message, Do the Truth. D-O, the truth. Do the truth. What's that mean? Do the truth. Jesus said he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Do the truth is not do good. The previous verse, whoever practices evil hates the light. Jesus does not pull a gospel bait and switch. I love you. I take your sins. I'm lifted up like a snake on a pole. I'm not your judge. The Father's not your judge. Your judgment's in me. Oh, by the way, right here at the very end of the sermon, do the good, then you get the light. That's a bait and switch. That's, that's the garbage we pulled in the church a long time, for a long time. The old bait and switch is we told you we were going to sell you this, and then we get you in the store and we don't have it. We don't have it. Mysteriously, we don't have any more of those. We only had three. We did a mass flyer of one million ads, but we had three of those TVs. But we're going to sell you this one, and it's a little more, but it's a whole lot better. The old bait and switch, right? And we've preached Jesus that way a lot of times. Grace, 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 love, 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 forgiveness, 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 cross, 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 finish work, finish work, finish work. You want to walk into the light, you got to stop doing the wrong thing, and you got to start doing the right thing. You got to do the good if you want gotten. Scratch that, time out. He who does the truth comes to the light. To do the truth, you got to stop the lie. What would happen then? You take what you are, and you walk it into the light so that your deeds may be clearly seen. What, did, what, was my, what was my projected theme, my thesis for you? That I think the evil deeds of verse 20 is the same guy in verse 21. He just takes his evil deeds and he walks them into the light. He takes what he really is and he shows up in front of God. And he goes, now what I have has been, look at the last phrase, my deeds have been done in God. God sees it all. God knows what I am. I'm not lying about it anymore. Let me tell you what God's asking from you. Truth. Do truth. How you do that? Stop lying about yourself. Just tell them what you really are. Here's what I really am. Here's what I really did. Here's what I'm really doing. I'm not running from it. This is me. This is covered in hog slop starving to death, prodigal son running home. You know what I've been doing the last several weeks? Wasting your money and feeding hogs. I'm home. And I love that Jesus cuts his speech off, doesn't let him give the last half of I believe I'll be one of you, let me be one of your servants. The father cuts that speech off because that part's the part that's still a lie. The part that's true is I come home and I smell like pig and I've wasted all my money. That part's real. That, this is the real me. I was going to give you this religious line about if you take me back, I'll be a missionary to Africa. But that's just religion. That's not me. That's what I think you want to hear. But what I'm actually going to tell you is that here's how I'm living, here's what I'm doing, here's what I've done, and I don't think I can offer you anything, God. I don't think I have anything to offer you. I don't think I'm worth much. I don't have anything good that you would need and according to Jesus, when you do that, that is the release from you living under the judgment of the lie. 
Because the lie is what we don't tell about who we really are, but it's also whenever we believe that because of what we are, we're going underneath the judgment of God. And the truth is, God's judgment is in the cross, not in you. Step into the light of his love. Doing the truth is bringing what you are. Bring all your ugliness into the light. Bring all of your issues into the light. Let him have them. Say, Pastor Paul, what happens if we have a church that people bring what they are into the light and what they are is awful and they just keep being awful? See, this is always the fear. This is where this, is where this usually breaks down because people go, because, and this, this is what this tells me. What we really want, we do want to see people live better lives. We want that. But sometimes we don't really want to see people live better lives because they've had a transformative revelation of Jesus. We want to see them live better lives so that it doesn't give a bad reputation to our faith or to our church. And sometimes we want to see people live better lives because we don't want to think that they can get by living that way and we can't. And so we think, man... Because this, this, is, this is really revealing. You want to talk about coming to the light? A lot of, a lot of believers, if, if I, don't, I don't want to say a lot. I'm going to say a few. A few believers. Let's hope it's a small minority. If they're really honest with themselves, there's a lot of things they're not doing, not because they've had a revelation, not because they've died in Christ and are being resurrected into a new reality, but because they think that doing those things would get them in big trouble. They want to do them, they long to do them. They yearn to do them. But they think that doing them would get them in big trouble. And listen, I'm not advocating you go do them. I'm advocating you tell the truth about why you don't do them. See, that's not the lie. That's the truth of God. I'm just going to be honest with you, God. I want to do this. And listen to what the Holy Spirit begins. Because let's, let's not act like the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to his kids. He does. And you don't have to wait till Sunday at church to hear him. So be honest with God and say, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what I'm wanting to do. Here's what I'm wanting to be a part of. I don't want this to be in darkness. Because if it's in darkness, I will just cling to my evil. But I want to lay that in the light and I want to walk out here in front of you. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is in the transformation business. I truly believe in a resurrected Jesus. And that means if I follow a resurrected Jesus, I must be resurrecting. And how do you resurrect? This one's really simple. No, I know it's not simple to tell somebody how to resurrect, because if you could, go try it. Go find a dead guy and say resurrect and see what happens. I'm not asking how to make the dead man raised. I'm asking what's the requirement? What's the number one requirement to get to a resurrection? Give it a shot. Death. Bingo. You got to die before you can be resurrected. How many of you believe in a resurrected Jesus? How many of you believe that he resurrected because he died first on the cross? Okay, I know these are simple. I know. Let's up the ante a little bit then, all right? How many of you believe that you are walking in the resurrection of Jesus? Okay. How many of you believe that if you're walking in the resurrection of Jesus, that's only possible if you've met your death in Jesus? Right? 
So if you believe in a resurrection, you believe that how that started was that the old you went into Christ and died. So get honest about the old you. That's why we need to just stop lying to God about what we are, lying to ourselves about what we are. Bring it to the front and let him have it. What happens when he shines his light on us? We're in the light. We get to see that what we do, we actually do in God. And when we do it in God, God takes the wheel. And if you think that you can live like hell in God and the Holy Spirit just whistle the days away, you haven't had a revelation of the resurrected Jesus because the resurrected Jesus went to the cross first. This is why I'm not scared to let people be honest and walk their darkness, walk whatever they are in the dark right out into the light of who he is. You go, what if they just keep doing it? I believe in a resurrected Jesus. And if Christ is resurrected and you're resurrecting in him, he can't leave you alone. Now, I'm not the judge of his pace of play. I don't get to say, God, you're not changing this dude fast enough. You got to speed it up. That's not, no. But I do believe that as we walk who we are into the light, the light, when you tell the truth, you bring your deeds to God. And when you bring them to God, there's no darkness in God. So everything you are comes into the light of God. Right? Everything you are walks right into his light, which is right where you need to be. And in the middle of his light, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, here here it is. We lie and we don't practice the truth. What's our title? Do the truth. We could have titled it practice the truth. Because according to 1 John chapter 1 verse 6, if we're walking in the darkness, we're lying and we don't practice the truth. He doesn't say if we if we say we have fellowship with him and we sin, then we're lying. No. He says if we say that we have fellowship with him, but we're staying in the dark about who we are. That's a lie. If we practice the truth, we'd bring who we are into the light of his love. This is the real me. And he, having put your judgment into Christ, has nothing left for you but open arms to walk you into who he is. Verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. Well, look at that. Look what happens if you just step out of the dark. If you just bring what you really are into the light, what does he do? The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is wonderful. Doing the truth, practicing the truth, The opposite of walking in darkness. Walking in darkness is the failure to practice the truth. It's the failure to do the truth and let the truth bring out what we are in front of God. Now, the light of God looks at you through the lens of the cross. Yes, you are his righteousness. Yes, you have his identity. You are not servants. You are sons. Walk in that every day. Don't hide in the darkness about what you are and about who you are. Don't think you can push anything to the back. Just lay it in front of Jesus. 
let him do the work. Even in grace churches? Oh, especially in grace churches. Why in a grace church? Because where iniquity doth abound, grace doth much more abound. Why does that exist? Because if we would just walk what we are out of the dark and into the light, what would grace do to it? The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The answer is not stop sinning. The answer is stop lying about what you are and who you are and let the light take care of the sin problem because the light will go to work on you. I I think that's beautiful. You want to know the sinner's prayer? How many of you grew up in churches where you heard the sinner's prayer? You repeated it. Maybe that's how you gave your heart to Christ. I'm whatever. I'm fine with that. I don't. I don't care if you said a prayer, didn't say a prayer, got sprinkled, got dunked, spoken tongues, didn't speak in tongues. Your your faith is is in Christ, not the method. I hope, because I've seen people come to Christ a lot of ways. I think a lot of people come to Christ that didn't officially have their coming to Christ meeting. They just walked into faith over time. They just kept showing up. I've had a few of them in churches. They just kept showing up. They never said the prayer. They never did the thing. But, man, they, they start to follow Jesus, start to let Jesus do what he wants to do in them. That's a beautiful thing. But we did sinner's prayer. Did you know the sinner's prayer is not in the Bible? There's no passage of Scripture that says, uh, dear God in heaven, dear God in heaven, I come to you, I come to you. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I can, that's me repeating. That's, that's everyone stand, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around because we don't want you to know you're getting saved. We don't want anybody to actually know that we're saying the prayer. (laughs) New Testament believers line them up at rivers and dunk them when they come to Jesus. We have them close their eyes and not let anybody know. We won't tell anyone. You you go tell them that on your own. Okay, I'm I'm off that soapbox. That's enough of that, enough soap. Okay, there's there's no prayer in the Bible that goes, I'm a sinner, come to my heart. But there is, I think, a sinner's prayer in the Bible. I think it's when the thief on the cross looks at Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Just ignore the when you come into your kingdom part because he's a winner after two words, right? What's his first two words? Remember me. You know what he doesn't say? Remember my sin. Remember my repentance. Remember my forgiveness. Remember my good works. Remember my effort. Remember my faith. No. Remember me. What does Jesus say on the cross? I know, I know the next phrase there is, today you'll be with me in paradise. What does Jesus say over all the sinner's prayers on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Father, let's remember all of them that step out of the dark and into the light and just get honest. And when they do, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they've been doing. Their whole life's been the darkness of lie. Forgive them. I'll throw you the last second curveball. They're forgiven, even in the dark. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. A lot of them are in the dark. They're lying. They're holding on to sin. 
They got masks. They're pushing fake people up. Father, you got to forgive them there. If we wait for them to come to the light to forgive them, no, you got to forgive them while they're in the dark. Because if we'll forgive them while they're in the dark, then what they'll realize is that doing the truth is stop lying and step into the truth of who Jesus is as judged on my behalf. I want to see you step out of the darkness and into the light. And I know you have because you've come to Jesus, but I want to see you live there. I want to live there. I'm not asking God to clean up my deeds. I'm asking God to show me where I'm in the dark. Show me where I'm lying to myself. Show me where I'm holding on to a mask and I'm not being the real me. That's my problem, not sin. My problem is the stuff I'm doing in the dark. You go, oh, but the stuff you do in the dark is sin. No, a lot of the stuff you do in the dark is religious. A lot of the stuff you do in the dark is quote-unquote good. It's just not you. It's not you being authentic. It's you being what you wish you could be or what you think the church wants you to be. It's not being who you really are. You don't walk with, in middle of the verse, fellowship with one another happens when we walk into the light. And so, so much of this familial relationship that we have demands honesty by us, not a lie. It becomes easier to stay away from the other believers even when you embrace the lie because it's going to require to let go of the lie to be around the other believer because only when you embrace the light are you in fellowship with one another. And so it's not just laying down stuff and sin, it's laying down masks and hypocrisies and religion. It's everything that doesn't represent what you really are. And bring who you really are to Jesus. That's, you shall know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Because when you know the truth, you, you give up on the lie. And here's what I think you'll find. When you tell the truth about yourself, you become free. In that thing, you become free. And you never become free from it until you tell the truth about it. Would you bow your head? It's not a repeat after me prayer. It's not a pray it in the privacy of your little dark space. No, it's none of those things. It's a challenge. It's honestly a challenge. It's just a challenge to you and to me to step into the light. You pray it however you want to pray it, all right? I'm going to pray it the way I pray it. If that sounds good to you, you can just amen it. You got your own words, you can say your own words. But this is how I've been talking to him lately. Father, I've known you for a long time. I've been serving you since I was a little kid. But I have come to realize that there are things about Paul White that sometimes I put on a mask to project what I wish I could be. And I want what is ever in the dark that represents the lie. I need your help to let go and know the truth. I'm not asking you to clean up my actions. I'm not asking you to take away my stuff. I am asking you 
to take that fan that's in your hand that you thoroughly purge your floor with and blow the Holy Spirit over the embers of my heart so that whatever is chaff and doesn't belong in me, I leave that garbage in the dark and I walk into the light of your flaming love, your consuming fire, and I receive that love as truth about who I am in Jesus' name. Amen. And don't let us stop tonight. Let us start tonight, okay? This isn't a, ooh, I went to that meeting on a Friday night and I got that whole light and darkness thing. Let me, t- let me write a little booklet on the truth. We make this mistake a lot. I make this mistake a lot. I have a little revelation. Ooh, I need to do a podcast on it. And sometimes you just need to walk it out for a while, marinate in it, wrestle with it. Let the Holy Spirit do what he does in you. I hope you've had a good time tonight journeying. I hope I haven't held you too long. It was long, I know. And I promised you it was Friday, so I would let you go early. So that just tells you what it would have been like if it hadn't been Friday. I love you, and I appreciate you. I did bring a few things, a few products. I can. There's. I got three books back there. I am on a fourth book. I'm on the last moments of my fourth book. Just finished writing it. I'm cleaning it up, and I'm about to write the conclusion. It'll be done by the end of the summer. It should be out in the fall. It's called Greater Than Jonah. And it takes a look at the moment where Jesus said he is greater than Jonah. And that really intrigues me because I read that and think big deal. I mean, if he had said greater than Moses, greater than David, greater than Elijah, you got something. But greater than Jonah, who's not? And then when I started to dig into what Jesus meant, I had a, just a cacophony of stuff on the life of Jonah. And so I walk through Jonah's story and see where it parallels characters in the Bible and where it parallels us. And so that'll be out in the fall. In the meantime, I have three books back there. Two of those are $10. The little green one's $8. And then I have flash drives, all kinds of sermons, and I can tell you about those if you're interested. I love you. Can't wait to see you tomorrow night. Pastor Jamie, God bless.